This Sunday, Easter Sunday, has changed the world. Do you know that, church? We're here today because Jesus is alive. He's alive. Yeah. And we know this to be true, don't we? We know this to be true. Those who have given our lives to him have walked with him. We've listened to him. He's changed us. He continues to change us day by day. We are testimony that Jesus is alive. And not only is he alive, but he started his church, didn't he, way back when. And he's continued with love and compassion to move through the world and connect with the darkness and the hatred and the pain that exists. On this Easter Sunday morning, I want to remind you, church, that the grave couldn't hold him. Jesus is passionately pursuing all of humanity with the good news of the gospel so that everyone can find new life in him. So for lots of people, the gospel story actually it isn't that hard to believe. Most, uh, there, are, there are many aspects of it that people say, okay, like Jesus unjustly tried and convicted. People say, well, that's not really that hard to believe. Like Jesus facing the death penalty, crucifixion. People say, well, that's not that hard to believe. The fact that even Jesus died on a cross, when we look back in history, that happened pretty much every day. People say, that's not hard to believe. But where the skeptic comes out in most people is when we say, did Jesus really rise from the dead? See, Jesus rising from the dead is the single thing on which all of Christianity hinges. It either rises or it falls. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 17, he said, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You're still in your sins. Now, I often think, wouldn't it have been easier to believe the resurrection if we weren't two millennia separated from the actual event? Like, what if it happened a thousand years ago? Would that make it easier to believe? What if it happened 500 years ago? Would it be easier for us to believe? What if it happened last year, last month, last week? What if it happened yesterday? The fact of the matter is, what I found about the claims of the resurrection of Jesus is it was no easier for them to believe, uh, even the people that walked around with Jesus at the time, than it is for us today. What makes things harder for people to believe in the resurrection today, I would say, is probably people's worldview and arguably the advancement of medical science, which goes completely against the belief that a person can be dead for three days and then rise from the dead. But surely, it must have been easier for the disciples to believe in the resurrection of Jesus than for us now. Surely it must have been. But being closer to the event didn't really help. See, during Jesus' ministry on earth, he told the disciples that he would die and that he would rise on the third day. But that didn't seem to help them 
either. Let me just remind us of the, the five times he assured them that he was going to rise from the dead. It's mentioned in the Gospels. Here's the first one. Matthew 12, 38 to 40 says this. Then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given it except for the sign of the prophet of Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In Mark 8.31, it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and after three days, he would rise again. Mark 9.31 says, Because he uh, was teaching his disciples, he said to them, The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days, he will rise. Mark 10, 33 to 44. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him. They will spit on him, flog him, and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. And then in John 2, verses 18 to 22, it says, The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all of this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it in three days. But the temple he was speaking about was the temple of his body. I mean, even it's recorded that Jesus' enemies remembered that he said he would resurrect from the dead. We see it in Matthew 27, 62 to 64. It says the next day, the one after preparation day, The chief priests and the Pharisees, they went to Pilate and they said, Sir, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver, Jesus, said, After three days I will rise again. So they're asking Pilate, Give us this order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell people that he has been raised from the dead. The last deception will be worse than the first. So even though Jesus said to his disciples that he'd be raised on the third day, it didn't make it any easier for them to believe. Because what happened when the third day came? Well, we see it in John 20 verse 1. Early on that first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So here's the big day, the third day that he's been talking about. Everything that he said to the disciples, everything that they said to everybody else in that region. But we don't see the 11 disciples rushing down to the tomb. We see Mary Magdalene, and we see Mary, the mother of James, and Salome, And they take spices to go and anoint Jesus' body. 
They didn't go to the tomb expecting to find Jesus risen. They went there to pay their respects. Side note, think about this. Women were the first witnesses to the resurrection. Let me just say this. You women at Coastline are amazing, absolutely amazing. But this was biblical Israel. If the resurrection thing was a lie and going to be some massive conspiracy and cover-up, you didn't want to send women. It would have no credibility. Why? Because women weren't even allowed to speak in court. Their testimony wasn't allowed. No one would believe a group of women back in this day. Another side note, think about this. Out of all the women that you might send to the tomb to be the first witness of the resurrection, you wouldn't send Mary Magdalene because of her checkered past. Who's going to believe her? The only explanation of why the gospel writers recount this story the way they did is simply if it actually just happened this way. So let's see Mary's reaction to the empty tomb. John 20, verses 2 to 18, says this. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked at the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separated from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from the scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were saying, Jesus appears to Mary Magdalene. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over and looked into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken away my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? Thinking that it was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried uh, carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get to him. There are two angels in front of Mary, and Jesus is literally standing there next to her, and she doesn't realize. Isn't that so true for so many of us in so many situations, that Jesus' grace and his glory surrounds us, yet we're often blind to him? Maybe that's you here today. And here we see afresh just how much Jesus loves Mary. He doesn't leave her like this. Jesus said to her, Mary, 
She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. See, the Lord said these things to Mary, and from that moment onwards, everything changed. Mary Magdalene was saved, redeemed, transformed from prostitution to becoming the first evangelist. She proclaimed the good news of the gospel, that Jesus was alive. And then she shares it with the disciples. And these guys take this good news, the gospel, throughout the whole of the world. This bunch, if you think about it, of scared deserters who ran away as soon as Jesus was arrested, they all end up dying. They die to share the good news of the gospel. And I've mentioned this in Easter's uh, past, but I think it's really important to tell you that Matthew was killed in AD 60 for his testimony that Jesus was risen. Peter was crucified in AD 64, upside down in Rome for his testimony that Jesus had risen. James, the son of Alphaeus, was stoned to death in AD 62 for sharing that Jesus was risen. James, son of Zebedee, AD 44, was executed by King Agrippa for his testimony that Jesus had risen. Bartholomew beheaded AD 71 for proclaiming that Jesus had risen. Andrew martyred AD 60 in Greece for his testimony that Jesus was risen. Thomas the doubter, the doubter, took the gospel to India, enraged the pagan priests and was martyred in AD 72, telling them that Jesus is alive. Philip was thrown into prison and afterwards he was crucified in AD 80 for his testimony that Jesus was risen. And Jude, crucified in Edessa in AD 72 for his testimony that Jesus was risen. What are the chances that these men would die for something they knew to be untrue? Who would do that? Think about it. After the resurrection, Jesus reveals himself to a group of women, then to a couple of disciples on the road to Emmaus, and then he reveals himself to 500 people at one time. What must have happened to these disciples so that they would go to their death for what they believe? The only explanation for the change in their lives is that they met, they saw, they touched the risen Christ. This single event Easter Sunday has changed the world. From that point on, the early church, they stopped worshipping on Saturday. The Jews worshipped on Saturday for thousands of years, and suddenly they start worshipping on Sundays to celebrate and remember the resurrection of Jesus. Think about this. The Sabbath was so sacred for the Jews. It was so precious. They would never have disobeyed the Ten Commandments unless the Messiah had come and had been risen from the dead and fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. And check this out. By the end of the first century, Sunday was even called the Lord's Day. 
The early church rejected the observances of the law because they saw that they had been fulfilled in the person of Jesus. The law was no longer binding, in a sense, in the same way that it had been for thousands of years. The early church started worshipping, not by sacrificing animals, but by breaking bread, by communion, by celebration, and of course, by baptism, which was the symbolic uh, death and resurrection of Jesus, as we saw just here last week. The other thing to note, this is really important, there was no enshrinement of Jesus' tomb. Even though it was customary in Judaism for a tomb of a prophet or a holy man to be preserved as a shrine because they thought that the bones of a prophet laying in a tomb imparted some kind of religious value, this didn't happen with Jesus' tomb. Judaism looks back at Abraham who died almost 4,000 years ago and yet his tomb is still there this holy site that you can find in Hebron. Millions of people every year visit Muhammad's tomb and the tomb of Buddha because that's where they were buried. People believe there's some kind of religious power and significance in those places. And even after 2,023 years of critical analysis and examination with all of our modern science and technology. With Jesus, we still have an empty tomb. From the day that Jesus resurrected until now, the church has exploded all over the world. Jesus is alive and he is well and he continues on his mission of love and compassion throughout our world. If Jesus didn't come back from the grave, most of us wouldn't even be here. You say, okay, John, the resurrection's true. So what? What difference does someone raising from the dead a couple of thousand years ago Make to me today. Well, I'm glad you asked. (laughs) See, the resurrection of Jesus overcame the penalty of sin, our debt before God. He overcomes death, it is defeated. He overcomes the power of sin, the three P's, by the way, if you want to know penalty, power, which is the power of sin. That he has brought freedom by what he has done, overcoming death, overcoming darkness, overcoming sin. And not only that, he fills us with his Holy Spirit to help us continue to walk a sinless life with him, to look to him on a daily basis. And ultimately, he has overcome the presence of sin, which we will know when we enter heaven, where there is no pain, no suffering, no tears, That we, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, can have eternal life. And not just eternal life when we pass, but eternal life right now. To experience what is going on in heaven now on earth. Jesus offers everyone forgiveness from the past. Don't we need that? He offers us new life for today. We need that. And he offers us hope for the future. The world is so hopeless. Look at all the pain, the suffering, the wars, the selfishness that exists on our planet. We need hope. 
See, not only that, he offers us peace of the Father, the power of the Son, and the presence of the Holy Spirit. For all of us that have put our trust in Jesus, we would say that we're born again. And obviously, we can't be physically born again, but we've been born again on the inside Born again by the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit coming in us and changing us from the inside out. Now I thought Easter Sunday may be a good time for me to share just a brief part of my story. I think sometimes people look at the pastor, the vicar, and they think, oh, he must have just floated in on a cloud, you know, he's got direct access to the father, the bat phone, whatever, But I'm just a normal guy. I'm just like you. My story is the same as so many other people. I know from a young age that I felt this sense of, I don't know, disconnect, not really belonging, this sense that something was wrong in the world. Of course, I went down all the paths that most people get drawn down, which is that What brings you happiness in life is, of course, money and career and sex and drugs. And and that led me down a path of of being involved in a lot of, of dark things over the years. I've said it before, but I ended up in a place where all of those things was never, ever enough. And it didn't matter how much of something that I had, it was still never enough. There still seemed to be, and I call this now the Jesus-shaped hole, there still seemed to be this hole in my soul that just couldn't be filled with enough of anything. All that stuff was so short-lived. Over the years, I, by my own admission, became intolerant, judgmental, bitter, skeptical, pessimistic, cynical, ruthless, arrogant, prideful, and ultimately depressed. I've shared with you many times, the last year of my addiction, I pretty much wanted to kill myself every single day. And I tried to a few times. I'd gone down a road of hopelessness. And also, I'd lost trust in humanity. I felt like I'd been trodden down and trodden down and trodden down. How could I really trust human beings? Aren't they all just greedy and selfish, just like me? But when I was 21, I ended up in a rehab. I got off the drugs. I came back to Bournemouth. I met a bunch of Christians who shared the good news of the gospel. And at that point, I was challenged because I was like, well, do, do, I, really, do I really need God? Do I, do I really need God in my life? What I didn't realize is that even though I might have changed my life, I was still separated from God. And the thing that separated me from God was my sin. I knew that I'd fought things, done things, said things over the years that are wrong. And everyone in this room right now, if you took a moment to think about that, you know you're the same as me. That separates you from God. And ultimately, Jesus came to take that sin off you and onto himself. And when I understood that, And when I took that step of faith and saying, Jesus, I accept your gift of forgiveness on the cross, everything in my life changed. He changed me from someone that was negative, someone that was 
hurting, someone that was in pain, to someone who went from pessimist to proclaimer, from sinister to minister, from worldly warrior to witness of Jesus, from someone who was completely selfish, self-absorbed, self-obsessed, all about me, 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 where my heart was broken over and over again for the lost, that people could know the freedom that I knew, that I knew to be true, that it's not just something we talk about, it's real. Jesus is alive and he changes lives and he's changed mine. God, yeah, bless you. (laughs) Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) I passionately long to see people experience the same freedom as me. Look, I'm not saying your story is the same as my story, but parts of your story are the same as my story because guess what? You're human beings. You are. And you need a touch of the good news of the gospel in your life to bring real transformation, real healing, and real wholeness. Look, whether you've been dragged here today by friends or family or whether you're watching this online or maybe you're watching it back in a few days, hearing what you've heard today about Jesus demands a verdict. The gospel is not passive. It's not okay just to say, oh, okay, I believe. No, 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 no. Jesus' resurrection radically affects the totality of our lives. It does. And it also has changed billions of people over the years. There's 2.2 billion Christians on the planet right now. We can't be blasé. Oh, well, if Christianity works for you, that's nice. Let me tell you, if it's true, it's true for everybody. And it changes everything Everything about who we are and everything about how we live. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10, For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When a person is confronted with the resurrection of Jesus and the good news of the gospel, we must make a decision. For some of us here today and some of us watching online, today is the day to make a decision.